Time now for the Power Roundtable Special Election Edition. And we have a great one for you today. Some of the best and brightest in our South Florida area. Rosemary O'Hara, an old friend, editorial page, editor of the Sun Sentinel, veteran Florida journalist. Another great friend, Nancy Ancrum, editorial page editor of the Miami Herald, and Justin Safey. Yes, a another great friend, friend. <laughs> publisher of the online Safey Review and a principal with Ballard Partners in Washington. To all of you, great to have Good you. Morning. Good, Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Anyone sleep this weekend? Uh, <laughs> after Tuesday. No. Or, or Wednesday. Yeah, we'll or up. Thursday. Hopefully. Hopefully. Or Friday. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about those close numbers. Justin, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're in Washington, you come down now, right. you're on the ground. I'm following it. What, what's your read on this with these numbers? Well, so my read is is uh, the number of people who voted early, we're probably, we've already broken a record on that in the history mm -hmm. of the state of Florida. Uh, you know, we've heard talk about blue waves and red waves. And what I'm seeing in the early voting numbers is there's a red wave and a blue wave. Mm -hmm. Both um, Republicans and Democrats are turning out. And I think that uh, by the end of early voting today, by the time the polls close today, the Democrats are probably going to have a 10 or 20,000 vote advantage over Republicans. So really what that tells me is that I know everyone says this, but I really believe this, that Tuesday, who shows up on Tuesday is going to actually probably make decide this all these the statewide races and also which way the independent voters break and how big is the advantage either side with the independent voters. Wow. So what about, you know, both of the Miami Herald, the Sun Sentinel have done, and, and of course, Save Your Review, mm -hmm. the Get Out the Vote campaign has been huge. So the independent vote, and there are the third party voters also, but the independent vote is really hard to read this time yeah. because there are, the, the polls are, pretty close, depending on who's, as we talked about in the first couple of segments, depending on who's doing the polling and who's asking the questions. So, Rosemary, what do you see as the issue for independence? There's, there's the economy, there's health care, we've been talking about that. What is the issue that the independents are going to say, you know, here's my vote? Gosh, there's so many, and they're independent because they don't just line up behind one cause or one party. There's the environment, there's the blue-green algae and the red mm -hmm. tide. There's gun rights, there's economy, there's the immigration, you know, the caravan at so the border. So you don't see one overarching, you know, I, I can't decide both of these great ideas, but this is the one that I'm really going to go for. Well, uh, the polls, the crosstabs show that the independents appear to be breaking toward the Democrats, but this is the first time we're hearing from the independents, and that's a shame that the primaries in Florida do not allow independence to be heard. Yeah. We would better understand what they care about, and our leaders would better be able to address the issues all of Florida care about if we let listen to independence. Yeah. And editorially, you have said that, right, I think, yeah. Nancy. I mean, Absolutely. And and I happen to, to agree with you. Again. We're going to hammer that again. I think Rosemary's right. There are so many issues that are, are of importance to independence that I think Ultimately, Tuesday, Election Day, it's going to get down to their gut, their yeah. individual mm -hmm. guts. And actually, I think that's how at least the gubernatorial candidates are playing it. Yeah. The issues have taken a back seat to, to them, to and, personalities, yeah. and to them trying to convey yeah. just who they are. How, that is so important, too, because, I mean, I've talked to voters who have flat out said, I just don't like him. And that, that's not for any one right. particular person. 
But the, the follow-up to that is, well, whether you like or dislike somebody, what about the platform and the plan and the ability to move the needle? You know, I just don't like them. Well, a lot of times people vote on feeling and they vote on likability, and this is an old rule in, in politics. Yeah. And and you mentioned in the earlier segment that to some extent this is, and I believe it is a, it's a referendum on, on President Trump. At the same time, if you look at the TV ads, it seems like the other issue that's really being pressed pretty hard, at least by the Democrats, is the issue of health care. And even in some Republican ads as well. So I think that amongst independents, that health care issue may yeah. may be very high on their agenda. Well, I, I was at the, the last gubernatorial debate up there at Broward College, and uh, that was, aside from the personal insults and attacks on each other, that was just utterly fascinating to me because, um, you know, what Ron DeSantis is saying is, okay, yeah, I voted against the Affordable Care Act, but I'm going to make sure that everybody with pre-existing conditions uh, is going to be covered. And I will ask the legislature to do it if Congress doesn't. And frankly, I kind of heard that and I thought, mm. whoa, how do you do that? Well, you would do it. I, I mean, it is remarkable to me that um, Senator or, uh, Governor Scott and Ron DeSantis are both saying that they will stand up for pre-existing conditions right. when, as a congressman, DeSantis did everything he could to get the Affordable Care Act repealed. Governor Scott emerged on the national stage yeah. fighting the Affordable Care Act, right, yeah. and neither one of them has said that Florida should get out of this lawsuit that Attorney General Pam Bondi is pushing that would end the requirement that says insurance companies can't discriminate against people mm -hmm. with pre-existing conditions. So they're wrapping themselves in their big protector of this, and their whole history says the opposite. Absolutely. You know, I think both parties are running that campaign of fear. And it's just more overt when it comes to the Republicans, but also the Democrats are saying, this is what you, our base, have, have to fear. Well, right. and also, and, the, 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 Justin, I was going to ask you this, the, the Democrats are saying, well, elect Gillum governor and we will expand Medicaid and accept accept federal money but that's actually not exactly possible without the legislature. Well that's true I mean but the, the, the issue of health care is really interesting because then you have Andrew Gillum Democratic candidate for governor who is supporting the Medicare for all concept and again the governor can't institute Medicare for right. all right. Uh, but but he would say that he wants to expand Medicaid and there are a lot of Democrats in the legislature would like to do that but Republicans would not and the other thing is is it was interesting when President Obama came here, he did um, go negative um, and use fear when he basically said, they're coming after your health care. That was probably one of the biggest lines that he had in his speech, which basically meant the, the Republicans are going to take your health care away. So I think that that's been one of the more effective But um, he also tactics. made the point that the Republicans also used the fear, and starting back with when they said that we were going to have death panels, they accused me of, now we were going to have death panels that are going to take health care away from your grandma. Yeah, well now he's kind of doing the same thing. Because when you say someone's going to take away your health care, you're basically implying you're going to die or something yeah. bad's going to happen now to you. Now it's personal. Right. Yeah. Time out. Got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back. We are in the middle of our roundtable here. Justin Safey, Nancy Ancrum, Rosemary O'Hara. And I think we've got some live pictures we want to show you. Uh, candidate uh, Andrew Gillum, there he is, is speaking at North Miami Senior High School. Uh, let's listen in for a minute, hear what he's saying. We're going to elevate that message come Tuesday, November 6th. 
and it will operate right here in the state of Florida as we work to bring this thing on home. Um, I'm here today, uh, one, thanks to all my elected official and appointed official colleagues who are here. These are folks uh, who, who, who toil in the field on your behalf every single day. I know them all personally. Well, uh, here is Andrew Gillum doing what politicians always do. You've got to thank all of the other politicians who are there helping to make this possible. Uh, you know, Justin, let me ask you, I think that one of the things that has impressed me with the Gillum campaign is that they have not conceded the normally red areas of the state, Volusia County or other parts of the county that, of the state that normally vote uh, Republican, he has gone to them, and in fact, he's gotten pretty good turnout. He has, and uh, I got a text from a, an old colleague of mine who worked with me in Governor Bush's office, who now works in the Northeast of the United States. He said, is this a bad sign for the Republicans that Gillum is campaigning in the panhandle and he was in the yeah. panhandle? Yeah. And I said, you know what? This is a very a broad-based campaign strategy because typically at this point in the campaign with three or four days left, you'd be focusing on where he is today right. in Dade County, but the Democratic base in the state of Florida is Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. There's right. so many Democratic votes there. Right. You more, got than a million, uh, more than a million Democratic voters registered in Palm Beach, uh, Broward, and Miami-Dade County, and Monroe as well. Yeah, Ron, mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis has spent a lot of time in Dade County uh, mm -hmm. in the past couple of weeks, and specifically in the Cuban-American neighborhoods where he's going to have a reliable vote. But uh, he was at the Black Professionals Summit a couple of weeks ago, um, which I thought was a really interesting place for him to go to take on what has become the perception of he is, you know, either clueless at best or a racist at worst. And I don't, frankly, having spoken to him, think either of those things are true. But Nancy, he has really um, failed to come out and be as inclusive as maybe he really is. So the perception of Ron DeSantis is that he is not inclusive in the African-American neighborhoods, from what we're hearing. Yes, and I don't think that that is a DeSantis issue. I think that is a Republican issue, and I think it is usually a deliberate and exclusionary approach so that they do not turn off their base. Mm -hmm. And so I wish I could say I was really, really impressed. But he also was speaking to people who often do vote Republican, and these, this is, these are business leaders, these are professionals. So it, I give him some credit, but it was not that much of a stretch for him. Uh, the main issue, one of the main issues for former Congressman DeSantis, of course, is low taxes. I mean, he, I think, is some, simply saying, as I said earlier in the show, uh, that if you like Rick, Rick Scott's economic policies, you like low taxes, you don't want to raise the corporate uh, tax rate in the state of Florida, I'm your guy. So uh, here is Congressman DeSantis talking about why low taxes are important. Listen in. I think most independents want Florida to remain a low-tax state. And with me, you can take that to the bank. We will remain a low-tax state. And I think that will allow us to prosper more economically. You know, the, uh, the whole tax issue, we have also a sound from Andrew Gillum talking about that because his plan for education is raising the corporate tax rate. Um, let's talk about that after we listen to how Andrew Gillum frames that idea. We want you to put a billion dollars into paying teachers what they're worth, into allowing us to build trade programs that train the future workforce to walk into the jobs that they're creating.
This really may be the most audacious and interesting idea that Gillum has proposed. And if you think about Jeb Bush or you think about basically any governor, they have been focused, laser focused, on bringing down corporate tax rates and making Florida an attractive state for industry, for relocation, or to keep industry here. I mean, how do you think well, this plays? A couple things, very remarkable. One, Jeb Bush, Rick Scott, both governors, Republican, got reelected cutting taxes. So they got rewarded by the voters for doing that. Uh, if you look at Democratic candidates who've run in the state of Florida, I don't remember another Democratic candidate until Andrew Gillum, who's run basically saying, I'm going to raise your taxes. Um, corporate taxes in this instance, but he linked it to education. So I think it kind of represents a sea change, and it is a little bit of a gamble. And I have to give Andrew Gillum credit for basically saying, I'm going to raise taxes um, and trying to convince the, the voters of the right. state to vote for him despite that the but, fact. But it, he's saying it would be on three percent. He would it's on the biggest employers. Right. So it's a very limited pool. I would also point out that across Florida, at least in 19 counties, we are raising ta we are raising taxes right. at the local level because Tallahassee continues to cut underfund. Un underfund the public schools. So raising taxes is on the ballot at, in so many counties. And finally, I would raise the point that in Washington, we cut taxes for corporations and, and now we are seeing the deficit just grow. I mean, that used to be the issue for Republicans was how in debt we are. And so now we're looking at having to cut Medicare and Social Security yeah. because we got to do something about the deficit. So in this race and on the local level, that is such a complicated calculation and a complicated equation. And, and you're right, Gillum, Gillum has come out and said, well, you know, raising taxes, but for this many people. But I think the average voter just hears raising tax, right. lowering tax, and that becomes the headline. Well, he's betting on the average voter also hearing for education, mm -hmm. which has not been fully funded since Rick Scott has been in office, which has not really been as effective for the public schools as charter schools have received more and more of a chunk of of public funds and revenue that these taxpayers taxpayers already paying into the pool. Right. Right now, Florida, about $7,400 goes per pupil in the state. And it is at a high, but it still puts us like 44th in the country right. in per pupil funding. So, so 7400 7400 yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, sorry. All right, everybody, hold your thoughts again. We'll be back with more Roundtable in just a minute. Welcome back. We are in the midst of a roundtable with a really great panel. And let's look for a minute or two at least at the Senate race because it is just key to what happens in the state of Florida. Rosemary, uh, yesterday your page in the Sun Sentinel wrote a long and I thought very powerfully argued editorial in which you said, among other things, that uh, Rick Scott financially has just not been transparent, that his blind trust is not so blind, and that he has been conflicted in his, his wealth, and he, of course, is a tremendously wealthy guy, uh, over the last eight years, and it's affected both his decisions, public policy decisions. Well, we know that the only way we know how, what his finances are is because, because to run for Senate, he's had to disclose them. Yeah. As it turns out, the blind trust is not so blind. The person who runs his trust is the person who used to run his trust before he, he put it in. And his wife, there's amazing similarities, coincidences between the governor's blind trust and his wife's 
investments and they are in um, investing in companies that who have issues before Florida government. During the course of his governorship, his wealth has increased $200 million. So um, it, it, it's done well. Um, but I wanted to just say something about the difference between his campaign and what we're talking about at the governor's level. Yeah. We've, as you mentioned, we've seen Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum across the state in different places, but we've not seen Bill Nelson and we've not seen Rick Scott. All of their campaigning is really being done on television. And the governor is, has put $60 million into this campaign in order to get his message out in those sound bites. You know, the, the amount of money is staggering in that campaign. And Justin, these are both incumbents, an incumbent governor and an incumbent senator. And there have been plenty of opportunities, most recently with the hurricanes, for them to use that office in a very publicly noticeable way. And it seems like the governor is sort of outdoing the senator in that account. Well, it's a little bit easier in the governor. We saw Jeb Bush during the hurricane, Charlie Chris, Rick Scott. I mean, when you're the governor, you're kind of in charge of hurricane recovery and response. So I think that made it a little bit easier. I, I did remember seeing Bill Nelson uh, you know, on television yeah. a few times, and you know he was doing what he could to make sure he was being responsive. But it, look, Florida is a huge state. We have 20 million people. We have 13 million voters. Uh, these That race, that U.S. Senate race, is going to be over $100 million spent. The outside groups have spent, third-party groups, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, have spent $30 million against Bill Nelson and over $30 million against Rick Scott. So these are just astronomical numbers. Yeah. And Nancy, um, the theme of what Governor Scott says on the campaign trail when he's out there and what his ads say basically is Bill Nelson is confused, which is a euphemism for old over the hill doddering let's get him out of there we need to get rid of you know full-time uh, uh, politicians right. and he is mm -hmm. one you think that's going to resonate i don't think it's going to resonate i think people will see it for what it is if you are not inclined to vote for rick scott in the first place will it resonate with independence i just don't know yeah. i do think that both of these candidates are yes using television as their surrogates but also hoping that either President Trump or former President Obama will be the wind beneath their wings to, yeah. to get them well, over the finish and, line. And we did see here as video, in fact, from a really exciting, I thought, very well done rally on Friday in Overtown, in Miami's Overtown neighborhood. And there you see uh, President, former President Obama and uh, Bill Nelson there on his right, Andrew Gillum on his left. But you know, uh, Justin, it seems to me, uh, I don't want to sound too judgmental, Bill Nelson has just not been, you know, firing up the crowds. He has been kind of a, uh, to use a phrase from 2016, a low energy candidate. Well, he's been very, another way of saying it would be very senatorial. Uh, would be possibly another way, <laughs> another way of saying it. Right? That's, that's generous. That's, that's generous. Very generous. But, you know, it, it's true. And that, look, and if he loses, if Bill Nelson loses, it's going to be one of the reasons will be because he has not had a very vigorous uh, presence in the state of Florida since he's been in the last six years since he got reelected last time. Yeah. That's definitely going to hurt him and maybe the reason why he yeah. loses. Well, and the 
other reason he could lose is that Governor Scott is putting $12 million into his television campaign advertising in this last week, which is exactly what he did against Charlie Crist in the last week of that campaign, came from behind and won by one percentage point. This race is going to be a squeaker. You know, you are mentioning the the national money, all the national money into this. I mean, the whole balance of power in the U.S. House and Senate is on the line. We haven't even talked about the congressional races, uh, districts number 25, 6, and 7 in South Dade, where two of those are toss-ups that are now Republican seats. Or, and so that national money has uh, shows Florida is a, a, a bellwether state Absolutely. for this election. I think that's right? what, one of the things that propelled Donna Shalala into the congressional race to replace Ileana Ross-Leitinen, the fact that she had a name that could draw national funding, mm-hmm. and you could see it in the ads that were running that, that popped up on, on, on Facebook and on the Internet and on Google, um, with the expectation that that is really where the money was going. Well, the other thing is the pa- balance of power in Washington is on a nice edge, both in the Senate and in the House. And we are really ground zero here in Florida between the U.S. Senate race. If the Republicans can win that race, they're taking away a seat from a Democrat. And with these uh, battleground districts that we have here in Dade County, those are could decide whether the Democrats or Republicans yeah. control the U.S. House of Representatives. Boy, that is a good point on which to end. Justin, Nancy, yeah. Rosemary, thanks so much. Thank you good for coming you. in. Thank you.